Well, good morning. It is good to be back. It feels like coming home. I want to thank all of you for the patience and the grace that you have showered upon me and my family during the last five weeks. And I can just tell you uh, that standing in this place today, as opposed to how I was standing here four weeks ago when I delivered the eulogy at Bruce's funeral, feels very different, and it feels like very much of a blessing, and it's because of you, so I say thank you very much from the bottom of my heart and from my family as well. Originally, I was not going to preach until June after Bruce passed. Um, we wanted to make sure that I had time to get my legs under me, and they're under me. And um, as I listened to the first few messages in this series, I realized that I have something to say about small groups, and I wanted to share it with you because the small group of closest friends I have in this church and the wider group of the congregation have carried me and my family through our darkest hour, and I can stand before you with authority and assurance and say, friends, the worst thing is not the last thing, and small groups make a difference in how we live our lives. This morning we celebrated three baptisms at our earlier service. We've celebrated our graduates. We honored a couple this morning that celebrated a 60th wedding anniversary, the Coaths. If you know them, congratulate them. Sometimes we share communion here, the Lord's Supper, and it's called communion. The same root word of communion is community. And we gather together at times to celebrate the life and resurrection of people who go on before us to go home to be with the Lord. And we do these things in community because that's the way God intends for us to live our Christian lives. Today I want to share two stories with you. One at the beginning and one at the end of this message. I'm not going to try to kid you into thinking this is about some woman I used to know because you're going to see right through it, and the story, these stories come from my own life. The first took place when I was 23 years old. I was a young army officer, quite full of myself, kind of like you guys are probably feeling these days. <laughs> I had all the answers. I was a rugged individualist. I was a woman going into a branch of the army that was dominated by men. I had the world by the tail. And then one Sunday morning, the phone rang, and it was my father who could not even choke out the words. My cousin had to get on the phone to tell me my mother had suffered a fatal stroke and was gone. And in that moment of decision, when my mother's funeral was over, I turned away from God. Didn't just turn away, I think I kind of shook my fist and said, if that's the way you love, you can keep your love. Besides... I went to school, I studied biology, I studied chemistry, resurrection, come on, virgin birth, come on, I don't, I don't need any of this stuff. And I walked away. But friends, God never walked away from me. He let me follow my foolish ways and blessed me with the best husband a woman could ever have. And I know there's a bunch of ladies out there who will debate with me about that, but today I'm the preacher, so it gets to be my husband. That's where it goes. Okay. Well, my reaction was guided by immaturity. It was guided by a lack of faithful friends. 
It was guided by the fact that I really didn't understand the gospel message. And that brings us to our text today from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, and he is disturbed with them because they have been arguing and dividing among themselves over which leader they should follow, Paul or Apollos. And this is what he said. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. So Paul is speaking about a few things. He's speaking about spiritual maturity. He said he spoke his message to the mature. Now that doesn't mean for a minute that we don't share the message with new believers and with seekers, with those who are spiritually immature. We share the message with everyone. But Paul's real message sunk in best to those who were spiritually mature. The spiritually mature turned to God as opposed to the world in times of trouble. The spiritually mature allow others to care for us and teach us in times of trouble or times when we need to learn. The spiritually mature learn to react in ways that are self-aware. The spiritually mature allow themselves to be held accountable. And even though we normally think of accountability as having someone remind us when we are on the wrong path or we have done something wrong, accountability works another way too. It works in a positive way as opposed to pointing out a wrong. Recently in this new journey that I'm on, where I'm finding a new rhythm in my life, I've had people recommend some books to me to help me navigate the process. One of them is a book called Option B by Sheryl Sandberg. Sheryl is the COO of Facebook. And one day her husband went out to work out, he went to a gym, he fell off a piece of equipment and he died. Her oldest child was in second grade and she was drowning in her own grief but she worked her way through it and she wrote this incredible book where she points out that the three P's can stunt our recovery from a failure or a loss. Now I was referred to this book by a deacon friend who's part of a small group, the group of deacons that are here in the Tampa Bay area. It was a small group friend who led me to this book. But the point of bringing the book up is the three P's that she speaks of are personalizing a tragedy, saying it's my fault, 
pervasiveness, saying this tragedy that has happened in my life is going to affect everything and everything is going to be bad now. And the third thing is permanence. We experience the loss and we say it's going to feel this bad forever. And that's exactly down the road, that's the road I started down when Bruce died so unexpectedly. And it was friends who had the courage to call it like it was who said, no, no, you don't need to be accountable for something that wasn't your fault. Sure, we all have regrets. We all wish we had said I love you one more time or given one more hug or done other things. But it wasn't your fault. And it's not going to change your ministry. It's not pervasive. If anything, it will make you a better pastor. And this pain that you're feeling now, you'll always miss Bruce, but it's not going to hurt like this forever. And that is a form of accountability that we can receive, that we can benefit from when we take part in small group ministries. I was hearing this from all of my closest friends here at St. Paul. Maturity comes from us when we study God's word together, when we worship together. Maturity comes as we age and we suffer aches and pains. I mean, the young woman I was that I spoke about a while ago, well, she's older, a little wiser, and a lot heavier now than she was then. <laughs> when we take part in small group ministry, we find ourselves surrounded by people who can be our examples. There's always people, in every group, there are people who are more mature than others, people who are more seekers or new believers who are finding their way. And so in a small group environment, we have a chance to guide and lead others if we're one of the more mature. We have the opportunity to be examples. If we're somewhere in the middle of the pack, we learn how to become leaders and guides. And if we're new, we have examples that we can follow. We can discuss our doubts and our fears. We can share joy and grief. We can give care to those who need care. And I'm telling you, the small groups in this church know how to give care when a person is down for the count. I've experienced it firsthand. These things happen in community. And they don't just happen in the larger community because we really don't want to necessarily cry our eyeballs out and share our sorrows and our fears and our doubts with the whole congregation. But when we build relationships that involve trust and nurture and fun times and good times and bad times, those are the people who we can call in times of need. This kind of spiritual maturity leads to a wisdom versus, versus the world's foolishness. Paul told us he spoke a message of wisdom among the mature. But what is that wisdom? It's simple. He said he wasn't eloquent. I have a feeling he might have been eloquent. I'm not sure I buy that. But he said his message was simple. It wasn't eloquent. He didn't use big words. It was the gospel message, and it really is pretty simple. God loves you and me so much, even in our brokenness, that he sent his son, who not only provided us an amazing example of how to live in community, but he went to the cross to atone for our sins, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. And with his resurrection, we are promised the opportunity to join him in his victory over death. And let me tell you, that simple message means everything. When the person you love most on the planet is gone. It's a simple message, and it's God's wisdom, and it is not the wisdom of the world. 
the world, the biologist, no offense to biology, uh, you're going to do great things in medicine. <laughs> we can't limit God's power in our lives to the understanding of the biologist, though. And I think you know that. The resurrection, Paul's simple message, that wisdom that comes to the spiritually mature makes life bearable in its most unbearable moments. This is what Paul said about wisdom and about foolishness. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where, the, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So how does the Spirit work in us to reveal God's wisdom? Lots of God's wisdom comes from this book. That's why we read it so much. And that's why we encourage you to study it and read it in small groups. It comes through our experiences. We get smarter as we grow older, I hate to tell you. Folks, you're really smart right now, but in 20 years you're going to be even smarter, I promise. And you're going to look back at some of the things that you think today are really brilliant. And I don't want to keep you from living out this. You, you go with what you're thinking right now, but you're going to find out, what was I thinking? Because that's the way life is. But we really learn God's wisdom through other people. People, flesh and blood people, who we can turn to in time of need, who will answer our questions. People like Allison who have guided these young people. People like our small groups when we're together. The early church grew through small groups. We've learned that in this message series. People in the small groups shared food. They shared worship. They shared their resources. They shared life together. Small groups allow us to dive deeper in our faith because we can ask the question that you're not supposed to ask. Questions like I've been asking lately. Like, why didn't God make Bruce get better? That's the toughest, that's the question that pastors kind of, our knees quake over those questions. The why question. Small group settings allow us to build trust and to build personal ties that can carry us through thick and thin. There's a guy named Henry Blackaby. He wrote a book about Paul. It's called Anointed to be God's Servants. And it's all about Paul and his relationships with his companions, how he utilized companions, how the church grew because of his companions. If you've read the Bible, you've heard of people, Aquila, Priscilla, Titus, Timothy, Lydia, Silas, Barnabas. They were all part of Paul's inner circle. They provided resources. They provided home where he could stay. They, they were the people who he trained to come up behind him to continue the church after he was killed. Lydia opened her home as a refuge and a resource. And this is what Henry Blackaby says about Paul and his companions. It was the spirit of Christ who continually put Paul in touch with other believers and created the fellowship and supportive relationships Paul needed. Later, he added... God's kingdom has little room for spiritual mavericks, loners, and isolationists because every single person who names Christ as Lord is to function in community. Every single person who claims Christ as Lord 
is to function in community. And that kind of community, it happens right here in St. Paul today. I'd like you to hear from a few ladies in one of our source groups that was created five years ago. It was started by Mary Vaughn, who didn't just invite people from within our church, she went knocking on doors in her neighborhood and invited people from outside our church to be part of her group. This is what they have to say about their experience. I've been in this particular um, small group for five years since we first initiated the first ones. And I was kind of leery at first. And it was really nice because it was very close to where I live. And I figured it was an opportunity to meet new people and build new relationships. And found very, very quickly that that is exactly what happened. Your strangers, when, you're meet, when you start, and all of a sudden you are truly relying on each other for prayer service or for prayers and to share something good or something bad or just know that this group, whether it be eight or 12 or however many we have um, at the time, that this is your family. This becomes a very close family. You can call them at any time. You can ask for prayer at any time. And you can share the good, the bad, and the ugly and know that it stays here. All of these ladies are here for me. And this is where I need to be on Sundays. I look forward to it. I'm just grateful. I've learned more about Jesus. And I just I feel deeper in my faith. Although I've always come out high on faith tests, this has just deepened it. See, really what they're talking about is, through their small group experience, they became more spiritually mature, and they learned God's wisdom and grew deeper in their faith. Earlier I told you I was going to tell you two stories today. I told you the one when my mother had a stroke. So, let me tell you another story. It's 37 years later. The same woman is 61 now. She doesn't like it either. 61, older, heavier, a little grayer. Another fatal stroke took the person she loved most in the world. But something was different this time. She turned toward God instead of away from God. She was no longer a loner. She couldn't be a loner if she tried. I have a box this big of cards at home from you. I couldn't be a loner if I tried. I've learned the gospel message. That started a little while ago. And I said this during Bruce's eulogy. I'm going to say it again. I was arrogant enough to think God was calling me to ministry because I was going to be a gift to the church. But God called me to ministry because he knew there was going to be a time when I was desperately going to need the church to be a gift to me. That's the difference. Now, Bruce and I were invited to be part of a small group, and he didn't really want to do that. He was a little jealous of our time alone together because there wasn't a lot of it. But that group was, wasn't taking no for an answer. We didn't meet with them every week, but whenever they did something fun, when they got together, when Bruce got baptized, that small group was present. And when Bruce had his first stroke, 
That was the group to which I turned. You've heard Pastor Bob say, that's the people you can make the call to at 2 in the morning. Well, you can make the call at 4.45 as well. And I did. I still have some regrets. So I'm going to share a couple regrets with you in hopes that you can spare yourself these regrets. Spend more time talking about faith with the people you love. I left that to Pastor Bob to do with Bruce. Bruce just wanted me to be his wife. I wish I had known more about some of the conversations they'd had. I would have been less afraid when he was dying. I would have studied less and played more. I would have slowed down to savor our time together. I would have abandoned worldly wisdom for God's wisdom much sooner. And I would have told my husband almost every day, because guys care about this, that I thought he was still a hunk. Today's sermon title is Truth in Numbers. The truth, God's truth, is the gospel message. We learn God's truth in numbers greater than one. One is a lonely number. Some of you are too young for that song, some of you aren't. One is the loneliest number. Two is much better, but eight to 12 in a small group is absolutely the best. Small groups aren't a fad, they're not a gimmick, they're not a way to pump up some statistic, they are a way of living through life's tragedies and triumphs and joys and sorrows without losing our way and losing our faith. Sometimes our most important lessons come through the fire of our worst days. And I've learned a lot that relates to today's text as I journeyed with Bruce through the week when he died and in the aftermath, I learned that the worst thing isn't the last thing and that doing life together instead of doing life alone makes all the difference. <laughs>